So today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 20, 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. I'll just, I'm going to make up several asides. Uh, in the Gospel of John, the author refers to the disciple that Jesus loved as John. <laughs> anyway, so she runs to Peter and John. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her again, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you were looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, Mary said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Two side notes. One, of course Jesus looks like the gardener. Like the resurrected Jesus doesn't look like a king riding a stallion across the countryside or something, right? Like I would have this portrait of like a rainbow and a unicorn or something uh, regal, right? But no. She confuses him for the gardener and I think to myself, what do gardeners look like? They're like covered in dirt. I picture there's like dirt under his fingernails, you know? What do gardeners do? They work in the heat of the day, toiling, trying to bring dead things back to life trying to work in the ground. So of course Jesus looks like uh, a humble gardener. Gardeners are messy, and the resurrection's messy, right? Like, Jesus' body still has the scars. I'd like resurrection to be like a reversal, but it doesn't really work like that. Resurrection includes all of those nasty, things that have happened to us that happened to Jesus' body and somehow those things have been redeemed. My second aside is, do you think Mary ever lived this down? This, this is like Nadia Boltz-Weber. I'll read a, a portion of what she wrote later, but she talks about like, do you think she could ever live this down? Like, hey Mary, remember the time you thought the resurrected Jesus was the gardener? That was hilarious. Or whatever, right? <laughs> Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned to warn him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them the things that he had said to her. So today I want to talk about Mary, because the Gospel of John certainly seems to want to talk about Mary. The four Gospels have very different details about the resurrection. What does Jesus say? Where does he go? Right? They fill in the gaps. There's not a lot of overlap, but something that is in all four is that Mary is at the tomb first. 
She's come to prepare the spices. Some of the Gospels has her with other women as well, but she's always there. Mary is testified to being at the death of Jesus when Peter is busy denying. She's at the burial of Jesus when most of the disciples are scattered or hiding. And she's the first at the resurrection. Jesus comes to her, tells her to go to the disciples. She's the first witness. She's the first to testify to the resurrected Christ. So what do we know about her? Well, Mary Magdalene, her surname probably comes from the fact uh, that she grew up in the town of Magdala, we speculate at least, which is on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. Luke 8 tells us what we know most about her. Luke 8 reads this way, The twelve were with him as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward Chusa, and Susanna, who provided for Jesus' ministry out of their own means. So we learn two things about Mary Magdalene. One is uh, she was healed by Jesus. And two is that she was probably pretty wealthy and supported Jesus financially. Much of his ministry was supported by women. We know that when Mary is listed with a group, she's always listed first, which gives her a place of primacy in Jewish literature, right? To be named first in a list. For these reasons, she's often referred to as the Apostle to the Apostles. And in fact, Pope Francis recently gave her that title. She's been sainted by the Catholic Church, but he's since increased it from just a day of remembrance to a feast. Of course, the history of Mary Magdalene has not always been like this. For a while, she was thought to be a prostitute in Christian circles. Most of this came from Pope Gregory I. In 591, he gave a series of Easter sermons where he referred to Mary Magdalene as a prostitute, confusing her or jumbling up several other gospel stories that have nothing to do with Mary Magdalene. So for a long time, in fact, many of you maybe have that opinion of Mary Magdalene that she was in fact a prostitute, but that is not true. The Catholic Church has corrected such teaching since then. But sadly, this is often what we do to women in Scripture and throughout history. Mary is clearly a faithful disciple of Jesus. I think this is in part because in Jesus she found new life. And this is what we celebrate today, and I think this is what we're all looking for, right? New life, some kind of resurrection, of relationship, to be made whole, to find forgiveness and redemption. This is what we celebrate, and that's exactly what she found in Jesus. She was afflicted and He healed her. But more than that, I believe Mary is devoted to Jesus because He saw her. She is not objectified by Jesus. She is not turned into an object. She is not relegated to the status of women in the ancient world. He allows her to fund her. He takes her money, gives her a place of prominence, sees her through all the pain, through her affliction, really, really sees her. Can you imagine her loss when Jesus dies? Maybe the first man to ever really see her, the first person. But he's gone. 
The man that gave me new life, the man that healed me and set my foot on a path is gone. And so while the male disciples are nowhere to be found, she's going to the tomb early to honor his body, to anoint it, to be faithful. So that's who Jesus appears to first, and that's who gets to witness and testify to the other disciples. But I don't think it's one way. What I'm about to say, I don't, ex I don't mean it in a romantic way. I don't mean it in like a, an intimate way other than I believe Jesus loved his disciples, including Mary, deeply, passionately. They loved each other. That it was mutual. It's not as though Jesus just breathed life into Mary. So I want to read a portion of what we read from the Gospel of John. When Jesus finally reveals himself and Mary recognizes it's not the gardener, this is what Jesus says. Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary, don't hold on to me because I can't stay. Now one way to read that is like, I don't know, an emotionless British sort of like, Mary, I have to go to the Father. You'll be so hurt if you hold on to me. I would hate for you to be disappointed again, Mary. I don't even think that's British, but whatever, you get it. I'm not even sure, what is that? <laughs> I'll be here all week. <laughs> but what if we read this differently? What if we read the exact same words but with a different affect? What if Jesus looked at Mary and said, please don't hold on to me, because if you do, I'll want to stay. If you hold on to me, I won't go to the Father. I'll want to be with you. I want to be with my disciples. But I, ha I can't. I have to go. So don't hold on to me. I picture tears in his eyes, right? Like desperately wanting to be with these people that he loves so much, but also needing to be with his father. So don't hold on to me, Mary. Because I think the disciples' love filled Jesus with life, put his feet on a path. So this is what love does. Love produces resurrection. Love produces new life. Love takes the dead parts of our heart, the hurt parts of our soul, and makes them new. And that's why we show up today. This is why we come, because we desperately need new life. I need it. And I think you need it. And I look around and I think, wow, you've experienced it. How many of you here are remarried? That's resurrection. That's new love and new life. Right? How many of you have experienced forgiveness? That's resurrection. That's what we celebrate today. That resentment doesn't get the last word. Anger doesn't get to control us. That love heals those parts of us. Not in some clean, perfected reversal of the hurt but in a moving forward, the scars remain, and yet somehow I'm healed kind of resurrection. It's the kind of rebirth 
It's the kind of new life that still has dirt under its fingernails. The kind that's messy. So my prayer is that you find the new life you're looking for. The places of your heart that have been closed and hurt. The relationships that are estranged. The things in your life that you know keep you from being the person you want to be, God needs you to be. The things in your life that keep you chained. I pray you find new life. That the love of God that set Mary free, that put her feet on the path, the love that Mary showed Jesus, that redemptive kind of love, I pray you experience it. So I want you to hear these words from Nadia Bolsweber as I conclude. This breathed new life into me and maybe it will for you as well. This helped me experience resurrection. God isn't about making you spiffy. God isn't about making you nicer. God's about making you new. And new doesn't look perfect with a fabulous Easter dress because the Easter story is messy. New looks like recovering alcoholics. New looks like reconciliation between family members, neither of who deserve it. New looks like every time I imagined, uh, new looks like every time I managed to admit I was wrong and every time I managed not to mention when I was right. New looks like every fresh start and every act of forgiveness and every moment of letting go of what we thought we couldn't live without and then somehow living without it anyway. New is the thing you never saw coming, never even hoped for, but ends up being what you needed all along. Because God simply keeps reaching down into the dirt of humanity and pulling us out of the graves we dig for ourselves. Through our violence, our lies, our selfishness, our arrogance, our addictions. And God keeps loving us back to life over and over again. So yes, even now, Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death, and to those in the tombs, bestowing new life. Amen. Please stand for our closing song.